です。Welcome to the show,、uh, Cocktails and Cookbooks, with me,、uh, Megan Morgan. I am now going to creep my way into my、uh, little recording tent because I was outside of it playing my guitar, and uh, it—I、uh, cannot play it in my recording tent because my recording tent is very small.、Um, it is literally like a kid-style、uh, blanket fort. That I have created, hoping to、uh, to improve the sound quality of this podcast, because、um, I care about you, the listener, far more than I care about myself and my own comfort. <laughs> clearly, because crouching in a tent is great fun when you're very small and a child,、um, less so when you're a grown ass adult.、Uh, that said. Here I am, and and I hope that this works better. Did you like my intro song? I literally did not write it down. I made it up on the fly. Could you tell? I'm sure you could, because、um, it was rough. But、uh, at least it added some music, I guess, to the to the beginning of this. It it sounds a little bit weird, quite frankly, when I. Just kind of pop on here and start talking because podcasts have songs, so I made one. Um, and、uh, once I learn how to properly edit these,、uh, maybe I will make a real introduction song. So,、uh, in spite of that cute little intro,、uh, I think that today's podcast topic is going to be pretty serious. And so,、uh, buckle up, Buttercup. As they say, but you know, like I'm a little bit kinder in my theory on mental health. So,、um, you know, if you're not prepared for this right now, feel free to skip it, as I have said in previous episodes.、Um, and if you know you need to take breaks, that's totally okay. Also,、um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and approach the subject that I'm about to get into with as much kindness as possible.、Um, it's a subject that's very near and dear to my heart. And and it's a subject that is really tricky right now, and so、um, bear with me as I work my way through it. It's also very fresh, so that's that's a problem. But I really like really seriously important, and、um, it's also something that is a really big deal to me, and has had a big、uh, anyway. Before I go into the big emotional impact of what I'm talking about today. Let's do some of the、uh, the beginning work. My cocktail today is called the Golden Snitch.、Uh, yes, I'm going to be discussing Harry Potter and the current controversy with、uh, J.K. Rowling's statements、uh, regarding transgender rights. And like I said, it's going to get heavy. But with it, I'm drinking with this topic. I'm drinking a Harry Potter themed beverage. Because it feels appropriate, and I hope that by the end you'll agree with me, even if you don't necessarily take the same path that I'm going to take on this issue. The Golden Snitch is a recipe that you can get from one of my favorite online cook people.、Um, her website is called Half Baked Harvest, and her name is Tegan. I think that's how you pronounce it. It's T I E G H A N. I have one of her cookbooks, which I will perhaps discuss in a later episode. She makes these wonderfully complex and colorful, usually with lots of vegetables and cheese kinds of dishes, and、um, I adore her recipes. And this is、uh, a drink. The Golden Snitch contains、uh, apple cider. I'm just going to go ahead and let you know this kind of demonstrates the level. At which I felt that this topic was necessary tonight, and also getting this drink relatively correct was necessary tonight.、Um, 
that apple cider, I did not have any. I had two apples. I made my own apple juice to make this drink, um, which involved putting apples in a blender and then, like, squeezing the juice out of the, like, crud left over at the end of that process. One and a half ounces of whiskey or bourbon, a half an ounce of elderflower liqueur, some lemon, uh, some maple syrup. I didn't add very much of that. Uh, a ground cinnamon, some ground ginger, and then sparkling water for topping. I didn't use the sparkling water, and this is the reason I didn't use the maple syrup. Instead, I used some ginger beer that I had on hand. And it works really delightfully well with this recipe. It's really, really delicious. I think it it has really, truly, it's really, truly deserving of the name The Golden Snitch. If you've never read Harry Potter, and I suppose that a lot of people, even a lot of people who haven't read Harry Potter, know what a Golden Snitch is because of the movies. But um, Harry's favorite game to play is Quidditch, which is played on brooms. And catching the Golden Snitch is one of the most important jobs in the game. And it's this tiny ball. It's very fast. It has these little golden wings and the ball is gold and it um, zips around and the seeker has to catch it. And it's worth a shit ton of points, like an outrageous number of points to the degree that why anyone bothers with any of the other balls, we don't know. The logic maybe doesn't necessarily make a lot of sense, but it's kind of a wonderful concept, and the idea of this little golden ball being the most important when there are all these other sort of like, you know, the bludgers and the quaffles zooming about is is nice, I think. And uh, originally, the snitch was an actual bird that was released onto the field um, that was eventually considered too cruel of an action to take for the playing of game. So... It was changed to a, a, a little ball, a little golden ball imbued with magic. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. It's very tasty. It's a little bit fizzy. It has a nice golden color to it. So the name makes a lot of sense. The elderflower liqueur adds this sort of aromatic sweetness. It's nice. Um, I like it. Um, and hopefully it will help us get through the difficult things we have to discuss tonight. The book that I have, the cookbook that I have is... The Unofficial Harry Potter Cookbook by Dinah Buchholz. I cannot pronounce her name. It's D-I-N-A. And then her last name is B-U-C-H-O-L-Z. I have no idea. I can't help you here. I'm not good at pronunciation. It's not my strong suit. But I've made a lot of uh, recipes from this book. It has a lot of traditional English cooking in it. And a lot of variations on recipes that you actually hear about in the book. And then also some that are sort of invented by the author which she suspects would probably have been made by characters in the book, in the book series. It's a lovely cookbook. I don't currently know if purchasing it would, you know, uh, give money to, to Miss Rowling, which is sort of a morally difficult area right now. But um, I would recommend checking it out. I already had it on my shelf before any of the nonsense that has happened. So, and I don't mind cooking out of it um, because a lot of the recipes, are, like I said, are traditionally English and very comforting. Yeah, that's the cookbook that I have tonight. If you couldn't guess by the fact that I have the unofficial Harry Potter cookbook, I've been quite the Harry Potter fan ever since the series came out. I started reading it when I was in junior high and only the first three books had been released at that point, I think. It's been with me for a very long time. It grew up with me. I grew up with it. Um, I always found its messages of acceptance and of friendship to be very important to me during a time when I was sort of a very odd person amongst my peers. When I started reading these books... Um, I, I was definitely considered sort of a strange kid. I read books a lot. I was already writing books at that point. Um, if you don't know this about me, I'm a writer. I have one book published. Um, Harry Potter heavily influenced me, uh, along with Star Wars and other things. And, um, yeah, it came to me at a point in my life when people were sort of disparagingly asking me during gym class, hey, are you queer? 
And I, not knowing exactly what that that meant at the time, sort of cheekily, I'm sure it seemed cheeky, it wasn't, but cheerfully responded with, well, I am a little odd. Um, Which I guess is a yes, and not an entirely untrue one. We can get more into that later if you'd like, but for this particular episode, we'll just leave it at, I was an oddball, I wasn't like a lot of the other kids, and um, I wasn't even really like anyone in my family, I didn't feel, and Harry Potter was sort of there emphasizing these messages of love and of acceptance and of, you know, the weirdos, the bookish kids, the ones with trauma, the ones who are like the, the <laughs> left out of their family were sort of vital to me growing up. And um, we are in a time right now when, uh, you know, we're sort of, I, I hate to, I hate to make any negative predictions, but we're probably between waves of COVID-19 infections. Um, we're in most of the United States, we're sort of in the trough on um, the first round. And with reopening, I suspect that there will be another. I very much hope I'm wrong about that. But it's sort of hard to see how a disease for which there is no vaccine could just go away and then, you know, not come back. So for me, this is sort of a very tenuous time in that regard. Um, in another regard, we are experiencing, as I mentioned in the last episode, uh, it is June 10th for me, by the way, and it will be June 11th probably when you listen to this. We are in a moment where there are people standing up against sort of uh, brutal police violence against African-Americans and other minorities in this country. We're sort of at a moment where standing up for minorities is critical and um, really standing up, standing up for all people is, is critical because I think that uh, wealth disparities have grown. Anyway, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. We're all dealing with a lot in these sort of social justice kinds of issues. In this moment, the author of Harry Potter, J.K. Rowling, has chosen to extend some comments that she had made previously regarding trans women um, into, she's spoken out about it more and in a way which has disappointed a great many of us uh, fans who grew up reading her books, took her message of love and acceptance to heart, and who are now seeing the author of that message say things that to that community are not just painful, but potentially deadly. Um, Transgender people suffer a great deal of violence and also a great deal of... um, of pushback from close-minded people in our community and they are excluded and in some cases you know their very existence is denied and they experience higher rates of suicide than you know than many of their peers And for someone who is so big a part of this message of acceptance to make statements which in many ways deny people who are transgender their identity is is really terrible. And, uh, excuse me, I'm going to have a drink. And it's not just difficult to sort of align this with the message of the books that were written. It is impossible 
And um, I have more than once in interviews for my books spoken about J.K. Rowling as being a hero of mine because like her, I am like she has been. I am a single mother. I have dealt with mental and emotional abuse as uh, she has. And I am, uh, you know, a feminist as, you know, she has in the past claimed to be. And these statements that she is making are damaging um, both to people who are transgender and also to people who are feminists. It is linking in a very power from a very powerful voice the idea of non-acceptance of transgender people and feminism is being linked. And it, that is damaging to feminism as a whole. And um, it's just damaging to damaging to the people, and it's unacceptable. And it is very painful for me to have to. I cannot reconcile these actions when you know the transgender community has reached out to JK Rowling on multiple occasions and attempted to sort of explain to her why these statements are problematic you know i'm i'm left at this point with no choice but to you know renounce my previous statements that she is someone that I look up to and someone who is a hero of mine because she cannot be that any longer. Whatever positive impact her books have had and may currently have on my life, she herself has chosen the path of uh, ignoring the voices of those less powerful than her. She has chosen the path of refusing to acknowledge the pain of the people whom she is hurting and she has chosen the path of refusing to listen to those who have tried to correct her course in this matter and she has you know chosen the path of her own self-interest and you know what she claims are feminist values in which I renounce as being values of feminism, she's chosen to go against all of that. She has a great deal of power, an enormous amount of power, an enormous number of of people who listen to her, and she has given them one more excuse to discriminate. And and so, you know, we I simply cannot uh cannot live by my own values and you know, speak highly of her uh, in, in, in this. And that is very difficult and painful for me, and I cannot imagine how difficult and painful this situation is for people who are transgender. Uh, so, I'm taking another drink because it's very necessary right now. Where does that sort of leave those of us who are Harry Potter fans and who have read these books and who have taken away from it a message of kindness, of standing up for those who are less fortunate? Where does, where does that leave those of us who took those messages seriously and find us in the position of uh, seeing a creator who did not live up to those ideals and and to even become an agent of harm it leaves us with a series of books that have a very good message um but which in order to acquire we have to give money to someone who has not just caused harm but who 
continues to cause harm in spite of being given knowledge, you know, that she's that she's causing harm. And what are we left with? And I have in front of me an article from Variety, which discusses the the statements of Daniel Radcliffe, uh, the lovely young gentleman who played Harry Potter in the movie series. And I'm going to be linking this interview in the podcast uh, notes because I think it is at least one kind of answer for some of us, although it may not be an answer for all of us. I think there are almost certainly some of us who may find that we are no longer able to to read or to be a part of the world of Harry Potter. Um, I think there are undoubtedly those of us for whom that is the only path to take. Um, being a writer myself, I've had this conversation many times about um, how do you deal with artists who have questionable make questionable choices and have questionable values and who maybe even do harm to people. But their art, you know, speaks of the human condition in a way that maintains its value in spite of the actions of the artist. What do you do in those situations? Um, and I'm thinking of, you know, John of the Beatles. He, um, you know, he, he grew up in, in, undesirable conditions and it led him to have a lot of attachment issues as an adult and by that I mean he was quite abusive uh, physically mentally and emotionally towards his wife and yet he created some masterpieces you know in, in the musical world that are astounding and which we can hopefully find value in in spite of the actions of the creator because they can provide they can provide comfort they can provide hope they can make change in the world that is good even if the creator himself was harmful um there, there are lots of stories like these where, you know, very, very often artists are speaking from places of pain. I, I've met very few artists who are super well adjusted just because I think that, um, and I don't want to, you know, over romanticize or glorify this, but I, I think that often there's a certain amount of pain in really, truly good art and, pain that changes people and not always for the better. So we see a lot of very hopeful, very uplifting art come. Oh, I'm so sorry. That was my computer. Um, I think we see a lot of art coming from people who like maybe sometimes what they do in their lives is, is harmful. And so we sort of have to deal with, well, do we refuse to engage with that art because the artist sort of was at times monstrous? Do, do we back away from the art because the artist failed us? Or do we engage with the art in spite of the artist and take the good from it that we can? Um, I have at different times fallen on both sides of, you know, either side of this issue. Because, you know, we're all human. We all make mistakes. And some of us make mistakes, severe mistakes in one area and perhaps lesser mistakes in other areas. And, you know, some of us are, are just going to make more mistakes than others. And when we are dealing with that in real time, I think that no choice but to, at least from a social perspective let the artists know that what they're doing is wrong and painful and is hurting people. And in some cases, like, you know, 
when when we see like a film director who takes advantage of actresses um by sexually assaulting them uh you know that that involves litigation and sometimes jail time and certainly being ostracized from the industry when we're talking about someone who isn't around anymore i think it's a little bit easier i think to push aside mistakes um and and you know when we have a case like this with jk rowling where she is repeatedly you know making statements that harm people i'm not i'm not saying that we should all go on twitter and call her a turf or a bitch um i think that that's inappropriate but i think that she needs to be called out for what she's saying wrong and if she does not listen then i think that you know we cease to consider her uh, a voice in our culture um you know she she's no longer someone whose twitter account or whatever i will turn to for snappy quips about you know the president of the united states or something like that um that said um i have been during during the covid-19 shutdowns i have every night been opening up the pages of harry potter books to read them to my daughter um over you know video chats and they've been something that she and i can connect over and they are still to me messages there is still within them messages of hope and messages of self-acceptance and messages of tolerance and messages of the importance of friendship and of bonds of love um and I engage with that, not with, with JK. I'm going to um, tell you a little bit about what Daniel Rad- Radcliffe has said. Um, and, you know, this may not be the right answer for you. It, it might not be the right answer for someone, you know, who is trans. It it might not be the answer for a lot of people who are in the LGBTQ community or even just people who are activists for that community. What Daniel Radcliffe has to say is that transgender women are women. Any statement to the contrary erases the identity and dignity of transgender people and goes against all advice given by professional healthcare associations who have far more expertise on this subject matter than either Joe or I. I have, by the way, sat in on a filmmaker's interview with Daniel Radcliffe, and he is lovely and well-spoken and quirky, and he seems like someone who you would definitely want to have a beer with. Um, and, and so I can, I can hear him saying these things because, yes, uh, this is very Daniel Radcliffe, and I respect him for, for saying these things. And essentially what he says in the article, and I absolutely will link it. So that you can read it in full. Is that, um, to all the people who now feel that their experience of the books has been tarnished or diminished, I am deeply sorry for the pain these comments have caused you. I really hope that you don't entirely lose what was valuable in these stories to you. If these books taught you that love is the strongest force in the universe, capable of overcoming anything, If they taught you that strength is found in diversity and that dogmatic ideas of pureness lead to the oppression of vulnerable groups, if you believe that a particular character is trans, non-binary, or gender fluid, or that they are gay or bisexual, if you found anything in these stories that resonated with you and helped you at any time in your life, then that is between you and the book that you read, and it is sacred. And in my opinion, nobody can touch that. It means to you what it means to you, and I hope that these comments will not taint that too much. I think that, like I said, 
this statement and this way of thinking may not be enough for all of us. It may not be good enough for some of us to sit down and re-engage with the world of Harry Potter. But I very firmly believe in making what good of the world that we can. And in this particular case, um, it is very difficult to deny the impact that the Harry Potter books had on the generation in which I grew up. Um, It is hard to deny how strongly the people I grew up with took from these books this message And I think this is why you see millennials being so, or at least part of, not completely, part of why you see millennials feeling so strongly about things. Um, Because there is, at the core of them, this idea of love and friendship and putting aside our judgments of people and setting aside discrimination. And that is a message that our world needs. And it is a message that is imperfectly but beautifully delivered by this book series. Um, I think that the, the trick sort of comes in as to, you know, giving J.K. Rowling money and sort of supporting her continued existence within her bubble, which I'm, I'm sure it's not an excuse, but I'm sure that has impacted sort of her disconnect with this particular issue. But her statements are troubling, not just troubling, directly harmful. And um, that cannot be forgotten. Um, so all of those things said, I just took another drink. It's it's really needed right now. All of those things said, I would like to now talk a little bit about the cookbook that I have. And I don't say that as, you know, a sort of way out of this topic, but rather as an extension of this topic. And I say that because I think that, um, for me at least, and I think for a lot of people, Cooking and giving people food is an act of love, an act of love for the self and an act of love for others in our life. And it is an act of love that can be really beautiful and it is something that can really bring us all together and it is something that hopefully can break barriers because as I have said in previous episodes of this show... We all have to eat. Every single human on the face of this planet has to eat. And so every single human on the face of this planet either has to cook or has to know someone who can cook. It is necessary. These commonalities are the things that bind us. And so I think that they are essential and critical. And that's not to say that if you don't cook, you have to learn how to cook. But I think that every time we sit down to eat, At least some part of us needs to appreciate that fact. Um, and, and so I am here with, I am here with this cookbook of recipes that are no doubt inspired by a love of Harry Potter and the messages that are contained within. And so I think that the love in these recipes is like squared. You know what I mean? Um, and, and so these, this book is especially special to me and I will continue to cook from it and serve these recipes to the people I love with an extra knowledge of 
what love means and an extra sort of like almost, I guess, a warning in my mind. I think that more than anything else, what has happened with J.K. Rowling should remind us all to look within ourselves and find every ounce of prejudice that we have due to either our fears or to sort of societal norms and stamp it out with a vengeance. Um, we must, we must, we must look into our own lives and rid ourselves of as much of that hatred as we conceivably can. Because in the end, if we allow it to fester and to grow then eventually we will hurt someone else because that is what happens when hatred and fear fester and grow. And this is exactly the episode, this is exactly the message that J.K. Rowling had, you know, in the books. The The whole base concept is that, you know, um, Voldemort is attempting to cheat death because he fears it. And it leads him to becoming a monster. He he starts out life as a talented boy. He's cute. He's, you know, he has within him potential. And instead of feeding that potential and giving it a chance to become something good in the world, he feeds his fear, his fear of death, his fear of leaving this world. And in doing that, he becomes the greatest monster that wizarding society has ever seen. So when you find yourself feeding your fear, and when you find that fear leading you to ignore the cries of other people who are telling you that you are hurting them, then you need to, you need to stop and you need to listen. Um, and maybe you need to cook a recipe from this book with some humility and remember that even the wisest of it, us can fall and can do harm if we do not remember to listen to those who are lesser than us. So, there are several sections in this book that will give you some lovely, humbling recipes to cook. And really, truly, these are humble British recipes. And so I think that they're really perfect for talking about right now. Um, the first chapter is good food with bad relatives. And these are all recipes that um, Aunt Petunia either did cook that or probably uh, cooked in the books. Um, chapter two is delights down the alley, uh, Diagon Alley recipes. Uh, and they're really surprising and lovely. Chapter 3, Treats from the Train. Chapter 4, Recipes from a Giant and an Elf. In other words, these are all recipes from uh, Hagrid and Dobby. And I don't know if you... Hagrid is constantly cooking. And I love this idea of this gigantic, potentially threatening man um, constantly baking cookies and, you know making food for the creatures that are in his cabin is as well as for Harry and his friends and potentially himself and anyone else who happens to stop by. Um, I think that's really lovely. And then of course there are recipes cooked by Dobby. And I think that the, the idea of house elves in Harry Potter has long been one of the most controversial due to issues of its depiction of people who are in bondage, um, which has very, very challenging, you know, uh, real world counterparts. But the ultimate message of, of Dobby is that he, you know, and his fellow house elves are powerful, um, even though they're seen as lesser. And Dobby himself is um, more than once sort of the only reason that Harry Potter survives his encounters. And um, then we have uh, the favorite cook's dishes, which are all things by uh, Molly Weasley, who 
um, I think is the most critical mother figure in the Harry Potter books and who is also apparently a wonderful cook. And uh, there is the breakfast before class section, which I love very much. Uh, lunch and dinner in the dining hall. And these are all recipes uh, from Hogwarts. Uh, desserts and snacks at school. Holiday fair and treats in the village. Um, and you really, I don't think you can go wrong with a single recipe in this book. And they're all forwarded by the reason why they're included and how it sort of relates to the book uh, itself. There are recipes for things that I think many of us craved as we, uh, you know, read Harry Potter books, like um, things like pumpkin pasties or pasties. I don't know. How do you say that? It's British. And so I don't know for sure. And uh, beef casserole, which, uh, you know, gets tied back to Hagrid. Um, British pies, <laughs> which are lovely. And, and the idea is that, you know, it's sort of it's sort of nice to explore British culture in this book, and it's nice to sort of feel like you can briefly slip into the Harry Potter world with these kinds of recipes. Uh, lemon drops, which uh, Professor Dumbledore uh, favors uh, very much in the books. Um, there are some lovely recipes that are French, and these are sort of geared towards those um, who are interested in the recipes that might have been served when the uh, Beaubaton uh, students came to Hogwarts for the um, the Triwizard Tournament. I very sincerely apologize to those of you who listen to this podcast regularly and who are perhaps not enormous fans of Harry Potter and maybe are sick of hearing me talk about it. That said, here we are. Um, I love the recipe for fried tomatoes. I had never had them before I purchased this book. I'd never even really heard of them. And um, they are really delicious. The idea is that you take uh, tomatoes, you slice them, you dredge them in some flour, and then you fry them. And this transforms your standard everyday tomato into something that is truly magical. And if you serve it alongside like some bacon and maybe a biscuit, uh, you have breakfast and it's delicious and hot. And uh, if you haven't had fried tomatoes before, uh, I think that you will find it very surprising. I liked it a lot. <laughs> and so, yeah, there are all these really lovely recipes for these incredibly uh, filling desserts for these incredibly comforting breakfasts and lunches and dinners. Um, and it's all, for the most part, very hearty fare. And in some cases quite decadent. And they're all things that, you know, I think that you can imagine the students at Hogwarts gathering around and as, as they learn and, and sort of sharing and, you know, uh, deepening their bonds and their friendship. And I think that's the most important thing that I always took away from Harry Potter were, were those moments. Uh, there's a recipe here for pancakes. And who doesn't love pancakes? I mean, I'm sure there are people who don't, but I find pancakes wonderful. Um, there are is a recipe for rock cakes, which is one of Hagrid's favorite things to serve. Um, and they're something that I'm very curious about. I haven't made them yet, but I really very much need to. Um, and uh, I think they're basically a cookie. Uh, but if you bake it too long, you can't eat it. <laughs> um, there are recipes for fruitcake, uh, creatures, French onion soup. Um, and the recipes, like I said, a lot of them are very hearty. They're very English. They're very European. And if you are someone who doesn't have a lot of experience with that kind of cooking, then I think that this is a lovely way to sort of explore that. Uh, the triacle pudding, triacle, treacle uh, pudding is something that I very much want to make. 
Uh, Harry loves uh, anything that has triacle in it. And supposedly it is kind of like molasses, but not exactly. And it's something that I uh, have not been able to find in the grocery stores. So I'm going to have to special order it so that I can make some of this pudding. And pudding apparently in England um, does not necessarily mean the the uh, precise sort of like milk-based dessert uh that we would eat here in America, but rather any kind of dessert. So it, that could mean many, any number of things. And I very much want to try, try that recipe. And then the recipes, um, from Molly Weasley, I think are the most wonderful because Molly Weasley is one of, I think, the most loving and accepting characters in the book books and sort of like I don't want to say she's the mother that we all wish we had um but she certainly is the mother that Harry wishes that he had and so when you look at the sort of beef pies and mutton pies that um are in this book I think that you can definitely agree that these are things that Molly Weasley would have proudly made Um, and things that she would have given to Harry to sort of comfort him in all of his difficult, uh, you know, difficult experiences. Um, there are great breakfasts, as I mentioned, the fried tomatoes. Uh, there's a recipe for orange marmalade. There's a recipe for frying bacon. Um, and I, I think that these recipes do a great job capturing magic that we those of us who like Harry Potter experience when we read it and you know as I sit here next to this book with several Harry Potter a great many Harry Potter books on my shelf and having said multiple times in the past that J.K. Rowling is a hero of mine um, and as I sort of read these statements and these articles, um, I find myself in the very difficult and the very human position of trying to reconcile all of these things. And I think that ultimately what I leave this experience with is something that I think many of us must experience at some point in our lives. And that is disappointment in, you know, someone who made something wonderful and lovely that we care about a great deal. And, you know, I I think some of us have already, for all the sort of like Star Wars ruined my childhood, uh, George Lucas ruined my childhood jokes that are made. The fact is that some of us have already had to sort of have this experience um, with something that we love. This feels, however, very direct and perhaps abrupt and it is painful and i think that for me what i take away from it is that i must in my heart and my mind stand up against these kinds of messages which hurt people and i must sort of and and i don't say this to be this is going to sound a little bit silly but i must be my own hero in the sense that i must live by the lessons that i learned in the pages of the harry potter books and i must approach the world with the love that to me became so important and was reinforced, you know, by those stories. And I must stand up against the evil of causing an underprivileged and often unheard community pain. And I must look for those inclinations in myself to 
dismiss or to hate or to be angry. I must continue to cook and to make wonderful food for the people whom I love as much as possible. And I must do better. And I must continue writing stories that are better. I must continue to create works of art that can, you know, go out into the world and do better. And and I, I must watch out for the possibility and and this seems to happen constantly of becoming eventually the very monster that you know, I face down in my books um, that I write myself. I consider myself, you know, a feminist and to see someone who calls herself so to make these kinds of statements feels difficult to grapple with. And I... um Yeah, I, I just, I hope to do better. And in that, um, I, uh, I thank you for listening to my uh, ramblings on this topic. Again, I, I agree with Daniel Radcliffe in that I hope that you stand up against this message you don't have to be hateful towards jk rowling in doing so i think that um you know sometimes we have to turn away and we have to move on um and we must also support the community which is being hurt by these messages however we can And so listen to those people who are being hurt and try and learn what they need and do your best to continue to learn and to do the right thing for those who are less fortunate. With that, I say thank you. Um, Please keep cooking wonderful things for the people who you care about. And when they gather at your table, listen to them and love them. And, uh, yeah, I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the day. And I will be back next time with uh, more cocktails and cookbooks by me, Megan Morgan. Bye.